Welcome to Between the Lines, a show where we explore the biggest NFL line moves by the books that take the biggest bets. Between the Lines, part of the Props and Hops family, as well as the Hammer Betting Network. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined once again by the co-host of the show and the star of the show, if we're being honest, <laughs> Fabian Summer, also known as Suma. Suma, week two, annually known as overreaction week in the NFL. I'm wondering if it might be time to pump the brakes on that title, given the market we're seeing unfold thus far. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, like five or six years ago, we would have seen some different lines this week, I would assume. For example, um, let's let's just take the, the San Francisco 49ers, for example. Last week, they looked absolutely horrible in a rain game against Chicago, which was arguably the worst team going to week one. And the Seahawks upset the Broncos on Monday Night Football in front of 90 million viewers. And I would say that five years ago, the 49ers would not have opened at like minus nine and a half favorites the week after. So... I think what we are seeing is that especially the early market is becoming a little bit sharper and books who throw out um, opening lines on like Sunday night, like classic overnight lines are also not over adjusting nowadays, I would say. Um, yeah, I mean, f five years ago, week two was the classic. Um, let's bet on some or let, let's bet against some overreactions. Let's bet on some underreactions. And I think that is a little bit compressed nowadays. Yeah, we'll explore some line moves and see if we can uncover potentially a bit of betting value moving forward, even if there aren't those classic overreactions to pounce on. But before we get to this week's games, want to let everybody know this episode is sponsored by the Power Ranks Sports Betting Newsletter. Valuable, concise, and entertaining. These are Dr. Ed Fang's three goals with each correspondence, which mostly covers the NFL and college football. Ed is a friend, a fellow fan of craft beer and the old-fashioned, and also a data scientist whose work has informed my betting. So you can check out the newsletter at thepowerrank.com and join me as a subscriber. Now, Suma, last week before we got to the games, we had some hops on hand. Got to admit, I don't have anything handy this week. It is Wednesday morning as we record this in Los Angeles for me. But let's say this. If the Chargers can somehow pull out a win at Kansas City tomorrow night, I would be happy to rejoin you in a virtual toast with a German-inspired beer next week. Does that sound like a fair deal? That's a very, very fair deal. <laughs> All right. We might, say, we might have some long odds if we're going to see that happen because we'll talk about Chargers Chiefs right out of the gates here. And the Chiefs have seen some steam. This line opened minus three. Kansas City got up as high as minus four and a half. I think some books were even as high as five at a certain point. Now it seems to be settling in at minus four. A lot of reason to be bullish on Kansas City after week one. And perhaps a bit of reason for the market to fade the Chargers a touch. Keenan Allen looking like a no-go for this one. On the other side of the ball, J.C. Jackson's status up in the air. And if we just look at the stats versus the scoreboard for the Chargers in week one, plus three in turnovers, plus six in sacks, yet they were hanging on for dear life at the end of that game. And Zuma, when it comes to Joe Lombardi babying Justin Herbert and the Chargers offense, I thought you had a great line in your NFL week one takeaways article at the hammer.bet basically referring to Joe Lombardi's offensive scheme as malpractice. 
Yeah, so what was really mind-boggling in that game is like we have talked all season long last season about how the Chargers have to maximize Justin Herbert's strength a little bit more, getting better on early downs, throwing the, the ball more downfield because they were basically running the Drew Brees offense from the Saints uh, 2017 to uh, 2020 uh, with some more deep passing sprinkled in because it's just Justin Herbert. And Herbert, I mean, they tried to pound the ball on early downs, even though it's, it, it hasn't been working. So many short passes again. Uh, Justin Herbert had to bail them out um, on some really good pressure situations from the Raiders front. And all in all, I just don't have the impression that the Chargers coaching staff is really trying to maximize Justin Herbert for, for whatever reason. And I think that might play a role in the K in the Chiefs getting bet up. I mean, the look ahead for the game was KC minus three. Then we had the Keenan Allen injury. We had the Chiefs looking absolutely awesome. Uh, then we had the Chargers almost blowing that lead to the Raiders. And then we had some soft openers at minus three and they didn't survive like a, a couple of minutes. It got immediately bet up. Um, Keenan Allen was already priced in because when you, when you leave the game with a hamstring injury and you cannot return back, it's probably like 90% plus that you're not going to start next Thursday. So that was always priced in. And I think right now when we are looking at the minus four, minus four and a half range for KC right now, uh, Pini minus four, Circa Las Vegas minus four. I think that's a pretty, pretty solid range right now. And while there is some reason to fade the Chargers for a few things we've touched on, as well as to back the Chiefs, that offense looking great without Tyreek Hill, as you forecasted, I also want to run one more factor by you for this game. Kickers were pivotal in week one across the league. On the positive side, the Browns winning at the wire on a 58-yard field goal. Similarly, the Steelers getting out of Cincinnati with a win with a 53-yarder at the gun. On the negative side, the Bengals who lost to Pittsburgh. This isn't all on Evan McPherson with the backup long snapper. The whole operation was kind of thrown off, but the Bengals missed a game-winning PAT at the end of regulation as well as a chip shot field goal in overtime. The Colts missing a game winner in overtime. The Titans missing a game winner in regulation. It just seemed like kicking games really swung a lot of outcomes at the wire in week one. And Harrison Butker, a pretty good kicker for the Chiefs, injured early in that week one game. His status is in doubt for Thursday night against the Chargers. What do you assign when it comes to the impact of an injury to the Chiefs kicker for this one? So first of all, while you were um, um, telling all those uh, kicking situations from the weekend, I had to think about Rob Zola's favorite uh, phrase, uh, we wager act actual dollars on, on this game. <laughs> um, yeah, Harris Bakta, yeah, I think Batka got just ruled out before we started this, uh, this show, so he's going to be out. To be honest, if all, I would probably adjust the Chiefs a little bit upwards because of that, because I think Butka has been a really good kicker for them in recent years. And without him, I would assume that maybe on some of these fourth and short situations, Andy Reid might rather go for it instead of trusting his kicker. So that might possibly... So if I had to adjust this number because of Harrison Butka, I would probably bump the Chiefs a little bit up rather than down. 
that factor might support one of my signature bets over the years with props and hops. And we'll let the audience read between the lines a little bit. This won't be too tough to connect, but shortest touchdown under one and a half yards has been a frequent favorite of mine. And if the Chiefs can extend some drives, turning fourth and two at the 35, let's say, into a drive that gets them in a goal-to-go situation, that could bode pretty well for that type of prop. So something for betters to consider on Thursday night. Moving on to Sunday, Suma, let's talk Washington at Detroit. This one seems some interesting activity looking at both the side and the total. Starting with the side, the Lions had been bet up to as high as minus two and a half. That has since come down a bit. It opened at Detroit minus one. Uh, what do you think of that move when we've seen Detroit play very well from behind the last couple of years? But I believe this is their first time in about a year and a half in the favorite role. Yeah, exactly. I, I saw a tweet today. I think it's uh, it's been 24 games for the Lions to not be favorites or not have been favorite anymore. So pretty amazing streak, to be honest. Um, yeah, um, they opened minus one, got bet up to uh, minus two and a half. Um, that's not a very strong move because we were not touching the the uh, three by any stretch in, in this game. Um, and then we saw some buyback, a buyback for Washington at plus two and a half. Uh, today, there was a really wild injury report f- for the Lions uh, stating that um, I think three or four offensive starters on their O-line were not practicing, like Taylor Decker, Frank Regno, and I also think Jonah Jackson, the left guard. They have already lost a right guard uh, whose uh, first name I cannot uh, pronounce. It. Uh, it's, his, his last name is Vitae. Um, so we don't know whether those guys are going to play, but they were DNP today and the Lions have already signed a, an offensive lineman from the Steelers practice squad to their active roster, I guess. So that's usually a sign that something's going on. So at this point, I would rather expect the line move towards Pickham instead of a minus three for the Lions. At this point, I would also not be surprised if we saw the uh, commanders um, closing as favorites if those injury reports um, continue to be pretty bad for the Lions. Um, And yeah, and um, you already mentioned the the total quite a bit. And that opened at 46 and a half early Monday morning. Then there was a release. Um, I've heard that it was Warren Sharp or AKA Tyler Brickner, whatever his real name seems to be. Um, And he released the over, I think, 46 and a half on Monday morning, and then it skyrocketed up to 49 and even 50 in some places. And now now we saw some um, decent buyback of the 50. We're currently looking at 48 and a half at Circa and a uh, 49 and a half heavily juiced at Pinnacle. And with those injury reports um, limping around the Lions facility right now, I also would not expect, uh, I would not be surprised if we saw a lot more under money as the, as the week goes on, if those injury reports hold all true. Before we move on from this game, Washington is one of my favorite teaser candidates on the board this week. And based on what you said about forcing Washington possibly closing as the favorite, maybe that 24 game underdog for Detroit, uh, that 24 game streak, not safe yet. It could extend to 25 if you're correct there. In the spirit of trying to see both sides of the coin, is there anything that might give you some pause if you're a teaser better giving a long, hard look at Washington right now? No, I I think taking the, the commanders right now at like seven and a half or eight, um, I mean, we have a soft uh, two on the board with Pinnacle. Pinnacle usually protects their teaser 
so if you won't get it there but if you are able to scoop up any seven and a half or eight i think it's a pretty solid teaser leg because you are basically asking the detroit lions to win by more than eight points in in any given football game so that that's a lot to ask and therefore i really um w- would be on board with that teaser leg for sure there we go. Well, moving on to the next game, we'll break down. It's been hovering in and out of teaser territory over the course of the week thus far. That would be Tampa Bay at New Orleans, and we can talk side in total for this one as well. When we look at this side, Tampa Bay currently minus two and a half or some expensive minus threes uh, out there at some point earlier in the week. This one opened too, so we've seen a lot of movement. What's your point of view on the line for Buck Saints right now? Yeah, that opened at a two, got bet all the way up to almost three and a half. We were really, really close from the three and a half on, on the New Orleans Saints. I think it was uh, Chris minus three, minus 20. Pinnacle was also very close. And then all of a sudden, I think it was Tuesday, um, 8 p.m. in the evening, my time. So 2 p.m. New York time, where someone, I don't know who that was, completely blasted the New Orleans Saints across the screen. Um, almost down to two and a half. Uh, we are currently looking at, um, yeah, Bucks plus three EV at Chris plus three plus oh four at Pinnacle and Circa as even uh, is even gone t- down to a two and a half for the for the Buccaneers right now. And pretty interesting line move because um, s- some people on Sunday you can already. Um, probably set your alarm clocks to it because someone will say, oh, books got crushed around the three because some people took the, let's say, minus two and a half with the Bucks. Some took the plus three and a half with the New Orleans Saints or a very good plus three. But um, that is not really true. Uh, That's a myth because the guys who took, let's say, the um, minus two and a half early with the Bucks and let's say the plus three at very good money, for the uh, Saints at Tuesday morning or Tuesday noon, they bet into rather lower limits at some sportsbooks. So as the season progresses, we are going to see limits raising a lot. And at some point, that early split around the three will not really matter to all those market-making books anymore. So um, that pretty much doesn't matter whether they um, got some action early around the key number of three. I'm really interesting to see where that line will ultimately settle because we are seeing some injury injury issues for the Bucks, who lost uh, their left tackle Donovan Smith. They lost Chris Godwin. At this point, it doesn't look like Chris Godwin is going to play this week. Donovan Smith was DNP today with his elbow injury, and Todd Bowles said that his elbow injury is going to be a pain tolerance uh, thing. So if Donovan Smith feels good, on let's say Saturday or Sunday morning, he might end up playing. And that's a injury to monitor because I think Donovan Smith will have some impact on the line because the Bucks are going to face the Saints defensive line, which is pretty, pretty good. And we, we already saw what the Cowboys did in the red zone with Mika Parsons off the edge. And I would guess that for some betters, that might be something to monitor. And it's something to monitor, not just for the point spread, but for the total as well. You talked about how some books may be more of a myth, but the narrative prevailing that if this one lands Tampa Bay minus three, oh, the books got middled, they got crushed. 
Similarly with the total, we talked some key numbers last week. Uh, it's currently at 44, opened 47 and a half. So if this one is 24-21 Tampa Bay, people might think the Bucks got the books got crushed on the side as well as the total. Um, if we look at this power move on the under, on one hand, I totally get it. Dennis Allen and that Saints defense have really imposed their will on Tom Brady and his time in Tampa Bay. You touch on the Bucks injuries along the offensive line as well as to Godwin. But I also think that the Saints defense looked a little bit softer than what many of us probably expected in week one. I know you had the over for Saints Falcons, so you were probably quite happy to see that. But with perhaps a softer than expected Saints defense and then Tampa Bay on Sunday night in Dallas, really settling for a lot of field goals. If they can convert some of those drives into touchdowns, I think we have a much higher ceiling for their scoring output. All things considered, what are your thoughts on, again, this power move down from 47 and a half all the way to that key number of 44? I got to say, I completely get behind that. I completely get behind the move. I'm not saying that I like the under at, at, at the current pricing, but I, I can logically understand the move because the Bucks offense struggled once the Cowboys were able to apply pressure. They lost Chris Godwin. They could potentially have some injuries along their offensive line. The Saints always played them tough in recent years. So the Saints probably, let's call it, have their number or something. And um, I, I think this year, uh, this week, um, it's, it's, it's a completely different matchup for the Saints defense because last week they didn't really know what they would be getting from the Falcons. Marcus Mariota, or let's say Arthur Smith, had a very, very great day calling that offensive scheme for Marcus Mariota. He really killed the Saints with his legs time and time again. And I think that would be a completely different matchup because this week, the Saints defense are going to get Tom Brady, who cannot move away from the pocket at all. They can keep him in the pocket and try to disguise anything behind it and not have to care about the quarterback's mobility. So this is going to be a different matchup, in my opinion. Um, and on the other side, the Saints offensive line looked at times really, really shaky against a Falcons pass rush that was to, supposed to be like a bottom three unit. So I think better so took the under all the way down to we are currently looking at 44 and a half across the board. Um, really think that this could rather be a matchup where the defenses have an advantage over the opposing offenses. Fair enough. Well, let's move on to the late window on Sunday and talk Seattle, San Francisco. The side currently San Francisco laying at nine and a half. We've seen some buyback after a release push it up as high as 10 across the board yesterday. And I want to touch on this, not because there's been a ton of movement around key numbers, but the look ahead for this one was San Francisco minus nine. And I know that look ahead lines can be soft, lower limits, not available for very long. So over the course of the season, there's not a whole lot of merit to them from a handicapping standpoint, but look aheads for week one and week two were available for much of the off season. So that San Francisco minus nine was much more accessible to a lot of betters. And then we saw San Francisco go up as high as a touchdown favorite, losing outright in Chicago. Seattle as high as a touchdown underdog, winning outright on Monday night. I understand we need to take both of those results with a hefty grain of salt. But even with that considered, I'm thinking this is a game that, yeah, a few years ago, maybe it's Niners minus seven, minus seven and a half. When we're seeing it reopen where it did and still going the other way in San Francisco's favor, I've just got to ask Suma, how how did this number possibly go up after what we saw in week one? Yeah, <clears throat> sorry. I think that when you ignore week one for a moment, 
and not care about the result that happened in Chicago. I think that Seattle was one of the worst teams or rated as the worst teams in the league. And if San Francisco 49ers were rated as a borderline top 10 team in the marketplace, they're playing at home. Seattle is coming off that Monday night football game short week. It was probably from an emotional standpoint, their personal Super Bowl this season against Russell Wilson. I mean, that place was absolutely rocking. Um, I mean, I was uh, watching the game real life in Game Pass the other morning, and sometimes I could not understand what Joe Buck and um, uh, Troy Eggman were really saying when the um, Broncos were on third down or something. So that was pretty nuts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Seattle, despite winning against the Broncos, didn't really look all that great. And I don't think that when you crunch the data, you want to include the offensive performance from the 49ers into your data set from last week because it was so crazily raining and um, I mean there were some throws early in the game from both quarterbacks where you really could see how the ball was slipping through their hands so I don't really know that you should incorporate all the data from week one for the 49ers and yeah going to this week I mean it may be hard for some betters to get to a 10 but on the other side also looked like a really good matchup for the Niners going into week one. So, yeah, I can understand why the number would be high. If betters think it's too high, they will likely grab the 10 with, with CL at some point. Um, but, yeah, um, l- like we said before, it, it's pretty crazy that we arrived at that number in the first place. Do you think there is any chance that San Francisco minus 10s appear again if somebody missed the first crack at the Seahawks plus the 10? probably yeah we're currently looking pretty much at nine and a half across the board so someone took some tens i think yesterday um yeah i could definitely definitely see that i mean the seahawks will also be without jamal adams and the media narrative was always pretty negative about jamal adams but last season sometimes the seahawks were able to put plug in into a um, certain role and especially in week one I think he was also playing much closer to the line of scrimmage so depending on how they used him he would mean a little bit more to the points but um, yeah I mean the 49ers really are the superior team over Seattle and I think if someone believes that Trey Lance can be good and what we saw in week one doesn't really matter a lot they might happily take the nine and a half at some point again Got it. Well, let's go from a game that hadn't seen a ton of movement, but a lot of intrigue with that Seahawks 49ers point spread and matchup to a game that has been adjusted significantly. When we're talking Cincinnati, Dallas, this one opened Bengals laying six and a half or seven. But even if that seemed like a pretty hefty adjustment already for Dak Prescott's absence, that number didn't last long already, but up to minus eight ish, some seven and a halfs out there. What do you make of the move on the Bengals against the Cowboys this week? Yeah, I think it's very important to note that um, and some people on Twitter might say, oh, it's a really big adjustment for a quarterback like Dak Prescott, who wasn't playing well last week or whatever. But we are not really just talking about the downgrade from Dak Prescott to Cooper Rush. We also have a lot of confounding factors because Cooper Rush is going to play behind a below average offensive line. So like last year or even two years ago when the Cowboys had to plug in a backup quarterback. 
They still had a very good offensive line. They had Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup. So that's really a completely different, um, a different starting point right now. So I, I would argue that without Dak Prescott, the Cowboys are on paper looking like one of the worst offenses in the league potentially. Their defense has uh, lost Jaron Curse. Their, their, I think Curse has the, has the green dot and is calling plays. So, I mean, we are really not just looking at a quarterback downgrade, but um, we are looking on a team downgrade in general. Also, Connor McGovern. Um, or I don't think it's Connor. I probably um, are mixing up the, the name with someone from the Jets right now. But, I mean, Cooper Rush is not going to play in a great, with, with a great supporting cast. So, that's something that you have to downgrade even more as a confounder. And then I can totally understand why betters would like the Bengals at a touchdown or even um, a little bit more because the Bengals looked kind of bad against the Steelers last week, but they also almost won that game despite turning the ball over five times. So, um, yeah, I mean, since he's clearly the, the, the superior team against Dallas, and I can understand why betters um, would grab the minus seven, minus seven and a half, minus eight with a with the Bengals here. Yeah, there's no sugarcoating it. Week one was disastrous in Dallas. And they've got some company if we want to look at a team involved in this next game. We'll break down. Arizona got absolutely pummeled by the Chiefs, and they will be traveling to Las Vegas in week two to take on the Raiders. The side currently Raiders minus five and a half. It got as high as six, and this one opened as low as three. So we've seen substantial movement here. Suma, do you think that movement has been warranted? I think it is. Um, the, it was a big group that released Las Vegas uh, minus three and a half on Tuesday, which blasted the entire screen from left to right. And um, it, I think it even hit minus six in some places. I can, I can understand it, even though I would say that at plus six, and we already see, uh, saw that, some betters might come back on the Cardinals because it's really a big number. I mean, last week we talked about that betters might come back on the Cardinals against the Chiefs at plus six. And this week we are talking about the Raiders, which is a completely different category than what the Chiefs showed last week. Um, yeah, the Cardinals are still dealing with some injuries. Their cornerback chart is pretty, pretty thin. Their safety, Jalen Thompson, is dealing with an injury. J.J. Watt has not practiced all last week. Wondell Moore might still be out this week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Cardinals don't look like a good team right now. And I think that's what, um, what those betters who grab the minus three and a half with the Raiders are thinking as well, which makes that uh, move probably logical. But I would also expect that as soon as it moves towards six again, we will like to see some buyback it seemed like right on cue as we started talking about this game i saw one offshore market maker on my odd screen tick down to raiders minus five so if anything this line might be trending a bit back down versus hitting six once again but i did want to ask you maybe a good thought exercise for the audience here when we're seeing lines that could be five and a half at certain books six at other books i know we talk a lot about three and seven as key numbers in the nfl in the last couple of years, I've heard more about the six as a semi-key number. What value do you assign to what a six is worth relative to, let's say, a plus five and a half? Yeah, the six is absolutely a lot more worth than the five and a half. Um, 
I mean, anything from three and a half to five and a half does not have a lot of value. The four has gotten some slightly more value because of um, the, the extra points and two points conversion, stuff like that. Um, but in general, five and a half is nothing compared to nothing, rel relatively speaking, in terms to the uh, compared to the six. I mean, the, the six comes into play in overtime. Uh, because you cannot kick an extra point if you score a touchdown on your first position. So overtime touchdowns are usually like um, six on the on the final scoring margin. And also with the, let's say, analytics revolution with more coaches willing to go for a two-point conversion when, when they cut the um, cut the opposing lead down to seven, or in this in, in this situation down to eight, and then they have to decide whether whether they kick the extra point or whether they go for two. Um, it's generally smarter to go to go for two. That's what we have also seen a little bit more in the past. So from that um, um, viewpoint, the six has gotten, let's say, a tiny bit more value in general. All right, score one for the analytics nerds, the six, seeing a bit more value these days than it has in the past. Moving on to the next game, the Sunday nighter, Chicago Green Bay. This one opened Packers minus eight, Packers minus nine at some shops, and a couple of simultaneous releases brought this one up to minus 10. And I find this interesting because, again, we saw Chicago as high as a touchdown underdog, yet they won outright. Green Bay is a short underdog, had a really ugly loss in your Monday column at the hammer.bet. You said that the cheese heads looked like Swiss cheese on both sides. So with that in mind, I'm wondering what you think of this spread going up, despite what we saw out of these teams respectively in week one. And that again, uh, like five years ago, we might have seen a minus seven and a half for Green Bay and maybe some more early Chicago money. But this time, no one is really buying the, let's say, performance of, of the of the Green Bay Packers that was like uh, on their bottom range of potential outcomes, mm -hmm. versus the Chicago Bears upsetting the Niners in a crazy monsoon. Um, I mean, when you look at that game from Chicago against the 49ers, I mean, Justin Fields, he won the game in the end, kind of, but he also had only like a handful of great plays. So it was not like a like the Chicago defense was move, um, offense was moving the ball all game, and now they're going to go to Lambeau Field, which is a completely different matchup once again. Um, but it's also interesting to note because we will also talk about the total, which which has plummeted down to 42, 42 and a half. Um, that there is some rain in the forecast, so we are potentially looking for another rain game for Chicago. Um, it, it's not a crazy forecast. It might also um, easily shift until Sunday, but that's definitely something to note and might play a role in some people grabbing the under here. Um, yeah, I mean, Green Bay is has entered the season as one of the top NFC teams. Chicago has entered the season as one of the worst teams in the entire league. So pre-week one, that number was probably somewhere in the minus nine, minus 10 range on the look ahead line. And it's very tough to over adjust your ratings for the Chicago Bears based on based on the last game. And you mind, I, I mean, in week one, the Packers, they looked horrible, but they were also without two starting offensive linemen, without their 
quote-unquote best wide receiver. Their defense has a lot of brain farts against Justin Jefferson. So there is a realistic chance that we are going to see a completely different Packers team this week. And that's what um, betters who took the minus nines of the board probably thought. When you touched on the total a moment ago, you partially answered my question. As you noted, it's down to the 42, 42 and a half range. It was as high as 44 and a half. So I was wondering initially why this might not have moved the other way. Sounds like weather, part of that answer. But if we look at the conditions in Chicago, got to say the offense is not as bad as they looked. And conversely, the defense is not as good as they looked. And then for the Packers, the offense can't look much worse this week than their seven-point output against the Vikings. So aside from the weather, is there anything else that you think explains a pretty strong move to the under? No, I think in general, um, the Bears look to have a very bad offense and the Packers on paper have one of the better defenses in the league. Even though we saw like this highlight reel of Justin Jefferson in week one, that uh, doesn't change the fact that the Packers are pretty talented on defense. They have a pretty decent pass rush against a bad uh, Chicago Bears offensive line. Uh, that offensive line looked a lot better in week one, but I want to see it uh, on, on a um, decent sample size before I start upgrading them in, in my notes, at least. Um, and yeah, so when you combine, the, the Bears have a very low prior on offense and the Packers looked bad on offense last week. And we don't know whether they are getting Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari back. I think that's potentially an angle for the under. All right, well, let's turn the page from Sunday night to Monday night, the second game of this week's Monday night doubleheader. I think we're bookending the breakdowns this week with the two games of the week from Chargers Chiefs on Thursday to Vikings Eagles late Monday night. And we'll talk about the side here. Currently, Eagles minus two, some two and a halfs out there. This one did open on the key number of three, and that was a cheap minus three for Philadelphia. It got as low as minus one and a half on some buyback. Now it's settling somewhere in the middle. The Vikings squarely in teaser territory for those looking to cross up through three and seven. Sumo, with a little bit of ping pong with this point spread early in the week, what's your point of view on where the number currently sits and where it goes from here? Yeah, so I think this is a really, really interesting matchup because we are seeing the market battling about how to rate both of these teams. I mean, there's some uncertainty with both of those teams going into the season uh, because how good can Jalen Hurts be? The Eagles potentially have one of the best, or they have one of the best rosters in the NFL. They might have one of the, maybe the best outside of quarterback, but it was always the question like, how good can Jalen Hurts be? What's his ceiling and how good does he really have to be in order for the Eagles to have a very, very high floor? And with the Vikings, we knew that they were talented. They have some holes on defense, but they had an upgraded offensive line, new coach, Justin Jefferson, could be one of the best receivers in the league after this after this season. He, he already is, to be honest. But there was also some uncertainty, like how this whole scheme with Kevin O'Connell is going to work out. And in week one, both teams looked really, really good. They both looked like clear-cut NFC playoff contenders. And now we are going to battle about, in my opinion, whether the Eagles deserve the money to push this towards a minus three at home on prime time. And that's probably what 
that's the battle that I'm expecting to see as we move on further into the week. I would be absolutely surprised if we saw the Eagles as a dog at some point. I just don't don't think that they deserve this. They deserve to be favorite, a favorite, but it's going to be interesting whether they deserve to be favored by a field goal or let's say by a soft field goal at home. Plenty for us to keep in mind over these next few days as we approach the action for week two. But for now, that's about all we can do. So as we start to wrap things up, I want to share a friendly programming reminder to everybody. Bet the lines as part of the Props and Hops family. You can catch Between the Lines, excuse me, on our YouTube channel for Props and Hops, as well as our podcast feed for Props and Hops. When in doubt, you can find all of our content over at thehammer.bet. And speaking of content across the hammer, Fabian on primetime with Rob Pizzola doing Sunday night football pregame and halftime shows from a betting point of view. Also, Monday is a great write-up that article posted early for all of us in the U.S. to wake up to. Top takeaways from Suma from the Sunday slate that was. And Suma, I know you are nine hours ahead of me. So if I'm doing the math right, that means Sunday night football kicks off a little after 2 a.m. Suma standard time. And then in addition to the pregame show, you've got the halftime show. You've got the article with the season approaching full swing now, when are you sleeping these days? <laughs> I actually slept a lot on Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> to be honest, I, I have not watched Monday Night Football Live. That was not worth it. Um, Didn't miss anything me. interesting. <laughs> I mean, waking up to that Nathaniel Hackett decision was absolutely great content in the morning. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the halftime show with Rob was around 4 a.m. in the morning. And I think in the middle of the third quarter, I was already sleeping. <laughs> and then I got like three hours um, of sleep until my son woke me up and then I got to work. But um, you have to go through it and uh, I can sleep on a Monday and Tuesday. So no issue there. Fair enough. Whatever it takes to keep you sharp and cranking out the impressive volume of, of really high quality work that you're doing. Uh, love to be part of it with you here at the hammer. And I want to remind everybody they can also catch the props and hops flagship show on Fridays throughout the season. We'll do deep dives on the props with pro better hitman looking to build on a winning week one for the show. Thanks solely to hitman's clean sweep going three and oh on his props. You can look out for props and hops on Friday right around 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. And of course, last but not least, you can follow The Hammer on Twitter at TheHammerHQ. Also check out all of our content at TheHammer.bet. And with that, want to thank everybody for tuning in. And we'll see you right back here on Friday to talk some props with Hitman. Props and-